Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Lauren Remillard is the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, uh, and he joins us now. Lauren, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. I've seen some of your comments on social media, uh, and I wanted to get you on uh, on a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, Winnipeg police starting to enforce uh, people that are breaking the COVID orders. Are you happy to see this? Well, no, not happy to see it because it means that there's a need for greater enforcement. Ideally, in a perfect world, you know, we'd have the public health orders. People would comply with the public health orders, and the need for such measures would not be required. So. We'll wait to see how it all plays out, but uh, continue to ask all Winnipeggers to continue to do our part. Uh, We're in this together. We'll get out of this together. I'll tell you why I think it's a good idea, because um, it's one thing to have an order, but then not to have any you know, enforcement of it, of it or, and there's been some enforcement. I don't believe it's been enough, but I have heard of situations where people have been in stores and, you know, retail stores are, are your members at the chamber where somebody says, I'm not putting on a mask, even though it's required. And that puts the store owner in a real bad spot and other people in the store. So I like now that uh, there's somebody that can be called when the rules aren't being followed. That's why I like it, Lauren. Yeah, no, absolutely. This should not fall on retailers or business owner operators to be the enforcement agent for public health orders. So from that aspect, absolutely uh, applaud government taking a look and saying these are our orders. We need to be the body that enforces them because for too many businesses, it puts them in that awkward position of thank you for coming through these doors to shop and support this business. Now I'm going to have to come down as the heavy. Uh, It's just not where business people want to be. Yeah. What do you think of the idea of the curfew that's being floated in, in the province? Premier Pallister wants people to uh, give uh, their thoughts at engagemb.ca, and thousands of Manitobans and Winnipegers have done that. What do you think of it? Well, it looks like the consultation is really help us shape something that is coming down uh, relatively soon. You know, I did take a look at the survey, and it does have that feeling of we're doing yeah. this, we're just trying to get some some feel for Manitobans. One would have to question, though, uh, if this is a public health measure, really, it should fall to the public health officials to determine how that should go about. I will say this on the curfew. Our society has changed significantly. Uh, You know, 100 years ago, when we were dealing with the Spanish flu, if you were to impose a curfew, um, you know, society was still not as urbanized as it is today, predominantly agrarian. Uh, When people worked, they predominantly worked a nine to five Monday to Friday shift and probably easier to be able to build a curfew. As we know, our society is 24 seven. There are many people that their livelihoods, uh, the shifts they work are outside what you would deem to be the traditional nine to five Monday to Friday. So how are we going to be approaching that if it's time based? What measures are going to be provided that recognize people work outside these traditional hours? And if someone's working, say, till 10 o'clock and the curfew is 10 o'clock, are you going to penalize the business by saying, no, you have to shut down early so people can get to their place, their homes from work? Or are you going to say, we're shutting down at 10 o'clock, your business shuts down at 10. There is a grace period for people as so long as they can show they were going directly from work to home 
you're fine. If it becomes a case where no, no, 10 o'clock hard and fast rule, well, that's going to impact businesses even more so than the public health measures and the various issues that business is dealing with right now. So some subtlety is going to be required. Um, so heavy consultation with industry is also required. Last thing we need to see is continuing measures that are implemented or announced and implemented. And then, you know, businesses ask, what do we think afterwards? Yeah, and we've seen that happen more than once uh, through this. You're right. The consultation tends to come after people start waving their hands in the air and saying, hey, what about us? Well, exactly. And again, business, we're part of this community. The the women and men that are our members that own and operate businesses, many of which are, you know, the corner store that you go to, uh, your favorite small family-owned retailer. They are members of this community, and they have been on the front lines of battling COVID. Their businesses have taken hit after hit after hit, and we're only in the second wave. I, you know, what's a little disconcerting is hearing all the public conversation around where we are today. It's almost as though people are expecting once this wave's done, we'll be done. Uh, we could be into a third, fourth, fifth wave. I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm just saying that's why we're calling for a much more robust strategy to how we support business, how we deal with public health measures and how they interact with business operations, because we just don't know what the end point is for COVID. And we need to be strategic. We need to be thinking, how do we adapt and evolve our programs, our support and the measures we're asking business to undertake to ensure everyone's long-term well-being. Well, and that's my final question. Uh, when the latest round of restrictions were announced for Winnipeg, you were on our air, and I remember the clip that ran in the news after you said it on one of our shows here on CGOB. It might have even been my show where you said, we need support now. And we are still talking about that support, Lauren. We are, and I know a lot of the discussion recently has been around the level or perceived generosity of what the province has done. Let me be very clear. In the first stages of COVID, the provincial programs that were announced were, were good programs. Uh, we did have some issues in terms of some of the restrictive nature of, say, for example, the Manitoba Gap Protection Program, but there was significant dollars on the table. No one's disputing that. But that was, that was wave one. That was back in the spring and the summer. We are now into a much higher spike in the COVID. Second wave, uh, we're, our public health measures have evolved. We have a business continuity plan for our healthcare system that's showing planning and preparations. And this is what we'll do in the event of. But we don't seem to have that for our business community. Our business community continues to be asked, just shut her for two weeks. Don't worry, it'll only be two weeks. Well, it's not just two weeks. Um, we don't know when it's going to end. And all we're asking the province is to lay out a, a very clear plan that is adaptable and adjustable to the depth and length of the crisis and recognizes that we all want to see as many businesses on the other side of COVID as possible. That is in our collective best interest. So let's make sure we're providing them the requisite support they need to get to the other side. Otherwise, um, you know, we're going to have some employment issues. We're going to have some revenue issues for the government uh, when their tax base is eroded and the, the demands on social services are much higher as we're seeing more and more Manitobans unemployed. So let's try to save our small business community today. It benefits everyone. 
And I'll tell you why it's more important now what you're talking about, Lauren, is more important now. We've been through several months of this. It's not like it's just beginning first time and businesses have had a normal run of business where, you know, not all of them, but many of them would have had a bit of a nest egg or would, you know, be in a better position. We've now had several months of this and now they're being asked again. Um, and that's why I think this support that you talk about is so important that it happens quickly. You know, how I'll, I'll say this. Uh, some of the listeners might recall a number um a while back when Minister Morneau, finance minister at the time, introduced changes to private tax, cor- private corporation tax. And the big issue was taxing passive income and savings and so forth. And our message at the time was business needs to have money set aside for bad times. And everyone kind of just in government at that time, federally was like, oh, you're you're overblowing this. Well, a major storm's blown in, one that we haven't seen in this lifetime. And you know what? That passive income is saving a lot of businesses. But because it's going on for a long period of time, they've exhausted that. that that's been exhausted a long time ago. Now you're talking they're cutting into their uh, personal retirement savings, personal credit cards, remortgaging homes. Uh, they're tapped out. And, and then if you want to use a boxer analogy, it's like business has gone 10 rounds and gotten beat up and they don't even get a chance to rest. We're sending them back in for another five rounds to take more beatings. Uh, business has not had the time to recoup from the damage of the first wave, and we're seeing even more damage in the second wave. Um, again, it just really comes down to what do we want our economy, what do we want our community to look like on the other side of COVID? Do we want a vibrant, small, and mid-sized business uh, community? Or are we just comfortable saying, well, we just let it go. Uh, those restaurants that define our our character of our community, they're gone. Um, that's fine. We're comfortable with that. I don't think Manitobans feel that way, and I think that's why Manitobans support doing everything we can to uh, ensure the well-being of our small and mid-sized business community. Lauren, thanks a lot. Thanks, Hal. Lauren Remillard, President and CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. And it's not just – and a few people will text an email – Uh, and say, well, you know, they decided to run a business, that was their choice, and, you know, uh, it's not just about the business owners, it's about all the people that are employed by those owners, and it's all the people that have jobs because they supply something to those. It's way bigger uh, than just individual business owners. Before we bring Shannon Sampert in here, we're going to talk with her about a few things, but we're definitely going to talk with her about comments made in committee yesterday by Manitoba Health Minister Cameron Friesen. Um, He's uh, here in this clip reacting to, uh, well, now hundreds of doctors who have written uh, letters saying that more needs to be done in the province when it comes to COVID-19. This is Health Minister Cameron Friesen, and then we'll talk to Shannon Sampert about it. Listen. And I have to wonder about the motivation of those doctors who signed that letter. And I know many of them, and I will talk to many of them. And I get it. They're scared, and they want the best for their patients, and I absolutely agree. But I wonder at the motivation to produce that letter, to produce to generate it at a time when they knew it would have maximum effect in causing chaos in the system when Manitobans need most to understand that the people in charge 
have got this. Now, listen, I'm willing to cut the minister some slack. I don't think he, I don't really in his, I don't think he meant it as harshly as it sounded. That's just my opinion. We've asked the minister to come on and explain. So far, we haven't heard from the minister. I think that he could, uh, you know, he probably should come on, explain, uh, and apologize. But Shannon Sanford, political scientist and columnist, what do you think? What did you think when you heard that? Um, I'm I'm aghast. <laughs> I just, I, I'm at the point right now where I am frustrated, like most Manitobans are, about the way both Cameron Friesen and uh, Brian Pallister are handling the situation. Yeah. Boy, you can, you're not out of line by saying that. And, and I will, even though I'm willing to give the minister the benefit of the doubt, whether he deserves it or not, and, and that's just what I think, you're right. The messaging here, Jeff Courier talked about the messaging earlier, the communication. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and things are not being handled properly, that's for sure. That's absolutely it. And we're getting so many different messages uh, and, uh, and, and, and messages that aren't, aren't tracking that it is becoming very, very difficult to take this government at face value, unfortunately. Um, We have a premier that is showing up uh, to news conferences and saying things like, um, uh, you know, you have to hope and pray that this is going to, the second wave is going to go away soon. Well, for heaven's sakes, hoping and praying is not a strategy in government. We have a health minister who, uh, on one hand, uh, talks about the two sides to every good story when it comes to wearing masks. That's ridiculous. Masks work. We know they work. Um, he somehow or another is ignoring doctors' voices. That's ridiculous. It's disrespectful. Um, you know, and then they're, they're saying we don't want to spend money. Now is not the time to spend money. This is ludicrous. This is not how you run a government in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a second surge, when you are in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, listen, the, uh, you know, if nothing else, to even just the optic, it, it just it just needs, things need to be handled. People are dying and getting sick, and it, it just seems to me that the minute, the first thing the minister should have done is said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it the way it's, if that's in fact, you know, I, I'm not speaking for the minister, but same with the with the premier, you know, uh, on Friday when we, we got that terrible day, and then it took till Monday to hear from the premier, and people were were saying, you know, where where is the premier? I'll, I'll yeah. give the final thirty seconds to you. The the the, the fact that the, the the premier did not actually show up on Friday is disgusting. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, and you know, all through this, Shannon, I really tried to give uh, the politicians at every level of government the the benefit of the doubt. We're in we're in uncharted waters here we we, you know um but at the very least they they need to be out in front and talking to people and and yeah i I listened to his news conference on monday because pallister finally did show up in front of the media and he showed up on monday in front of the media and said i you know i'm not going to change my strategy i've never done a news conference when we changed from orange to to uh from green to orange and i'm not going to start doing it now i i've always done it this way and i'm not going to stop doing it now and my first reaction was 
okay, you made a mistake. You should have done the, You should have been there for red. But the way you are talking about it now is 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 completely wrong. Your message should have been, I completely back my public health officials and I let them lead the conference because I believe that what they're doing is the correct way to do it. But him, he gets bombastic. He gets rude. He becomes a fighter with the media, and that becomes an issue overall as well. And then when he starts talking about responding to an emergency and wanting to keep the fiscal crisis under control rather than actually doing something like hiring people and instead saying he wants to have volunteers, there's a problem here. There's a disconnect here that I have an issue with. Like how do you have volunteers working uh, on a health crisis? You pay professionals. And it just it it, it bigger it bigger's my mind that these people are doing this, um, and so I think I really do think it's time for both Friesen and uh, Pallisters to step down, and I think we need to have uh, real, true, committed professionals take over both of these files, both as a leader of this of the of the uh, progressive conservatives and as uh, health ministers, because frankly, too many people are dying, and uh, not enough is being done, and. And it's, it's outrageous that they're actually handing the file of, of, uh, of, of enforcement over to the police. It's even worse that they're doing that. Shannon Sampert, got to run. Thank you very much for your time and, and your opinions. Thank you. Have a good day. Let's uh, have a little fun here for a couple of minutes. Cam Poitras, the producer of this show, and Cam's Creepy Corner. Uh, Creepy Corner Cam on Twitter. Creepy Corner Cam is where you can... Uh, Follow Cam on Twitter, and Cam again today has a few creepy headlines here for us. Cam, first one, con artist summons genie and sells Aladdin's lamp. I saw this story. I didn't read it, but I saw this story. What's this all about? Well, it gets it, it gets crazier if you click on it, because I kind of went through the same thing. I looked at it, and I said, well, this is yeah. kind of weird. And I kind of brushed it off, and then I went back to it. And this story is just completely crazy. It's out of India. Two men under arrest. Um, there, this is a doctor, by the way, the guy who, who got conned here, uh, a doctor um, buying this. Well, they wanted, first of all, they wanted $200,000 U.S. for this wish-granting lamp that they had that they actually told him <laughs> was from Aladdin. Um, they, and it would grant his wishes. This was the yes. sales pitch. Who wouldn't want something like that? <laughs> uh, so they he said, okay, well, you, you take a down payment for 41000 bucks. And they went, oh, okay, okay, we'll give you that. So anyways, he hands over $41,600 and uh, apparently didn't grant any wishes. Now, hmm. uh, <laughs> who'd have thought? Uh, so this apparently was a long con. Uh, he had started treating this ailing woman, you know, trying to help her out. And in the process, these two men that were kind of attached to her, who said that they were her son, which is kind of coming out that they probably weren't, and they started trying to sell him this this magic lamp. Oh, it will grant all your wishes. Aladdin owned this thing. So this doctor might must not be the sharpest tool in the shed. So, <laughs> But he's got lots of money, he's apparently. He's got lots of money, yeah. So, uh, and he's like, $41,000. I can, I can just wish for uh, a million. Of course I'll do something like yeah. this. So uh, one of the two men, this is my favorite part about this, one of the two men actually went to, to, to really slam home this con. He went as far as to dress up as the famed oh, genie <laughs> uh, to appear to the doctor to vouch for the authenticity of, of the tale. Of course, hey, I'm, I'm this genie, you know. I, well, anyway, so this doctor, he finds out uh, about a day in with this wish-granting uh, lamp that uh, it doesn't grant wishes. 
Um, uh, and so anyway, so he, these two uh, men are under arrest in India right now um, for conning this guy. Long con, selling him this wish-granting lamp. Wow. The con job is almost like a, like a, an hour-and-a-half movie you might watch on Netflix, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, and then we're going to dress up like the genie, you know? It would be a it's, great it's, comedy. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Well, this guy's an idiot. Well, giving I, somebody forty thousand totally. uh, dollars, you know, for, I mean, if it was an antique or it had some value, okay. But if you're buying it because you think you're going to rub it and a genie's going to come out and grant your wishes, come on, you're crazy. What would be your wish, Hal? You got one wish. Oh boy, um, can I get back to you? Let yes, me give that some yeah, thought because that's thought. a very important question. Yes. I don't want to just blow that off with a stupid answer that I haven't thought about because. Boy, there would be some things I would wish for. That might be a great uh, question uh, to ask uh, at some point. If you could be grant, if if a genie, <laughs> if a genie in a forty thousand yeah. um, dollar lamp uh, were to grant you one wish, hmm. you yeah, almost got to you almost got to go for money because you can pretty much get anything out of that. Like un like a, like a mm, the important stuff, Cam. In life, let me the old guy let the, let the yeah. old fart tell the young kid something here. Trust me, the really important stuff in life, money doesn't help you get it. Okay, fair enough. No, but that's just that's just my opinion. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, Cam's Creepy Corner. Uh, check him out on Twitter, Creepy Corner Cam, at Creepy Corner Cam on Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk and his uh, company SpaceX says it will make its own laws on Mars. Elon Musk has been smoking too much pot again. <laughs> yeah, the Joe Rogan podcast there. Uh, yeah, SpaceX says they will not recognize international law on Mars. And this is according to the terms of service for its Starlink Internet project. So what that project is, is they're going to use a series of satellites going from Earth all the way to Mars, carrying uh, Internet signals um, so that they can power their robots and their and their machines. And, and they'll have it linked up to, I guess, like a massive Wi-Fi across the surface of Mars or like targeted in certain areas. But he said, uh, so anyways, Elon Musk's space company says it will instead reportedly adhere to a set of self-governing principles that will be defined at the time of the Martian settlement. So who knows? Um, but they're hoping uh, that he uh, to reveal a plan for a self-sustaining city on Mars. They, oh, they revealed that plan just last week, but there's no, of course, no time frame yet for when something like that could be developed. But, but that's interesting, eh? Like, if you have, like, Mars and all of us, like, there'd be the people, like, you know, the freedom-loving people, the, the you know, some of those people that maybe came to North America, you know, as, like, settlers back in the day. Or like back in the in the 1500s, the 1600s, the 1700s, to you know kind of give themselves a new life. You know, it was a much freer society. Um, a lot more, you know, a lot of more issues in, in certain ways than it was in Europe. But it was obviously a much better place to come to here in North America, places like the states and Canada. Could something like that be set up on the states uh, or on Mars? I should say, not the states on Mars. Something set up like that on Mars, and what could that look like? You know, is it going to be the new, is that going to be the next frontier? Well, absolutely, yeah. yes, and and you know it wouldn't be international law because international mm-hmm. law is laws uh, here on Earth amongst nations. It would have to be intergalactic law, I yeah. guess, which probably doesn't exist yet, or, no. or maybe it does. Maybe, I don't think it does, but maybe how, it does. you could enforce hey, anything. Yeah, yeah. How would you? In- well, hey, listen, uh, we're enforcing COVID nineteen now, right? We mm-hmm. could call Winnipeg police to enforce uh, Elon Musk's <laughs> laws on on Mars. By the way, your question: What one wish would you would you make if you were granted a wish? What would it be? Several people are saying, "How wish for no COVID?" Absolutely, yes, great, duh. Why didn't I think of that? Somebody else says here, 
I wish I could stay 200 pounds forever, <laughs> which, yes, I would go along with that one as well. And uh, Gary says, Hal, come on, man, ask for more wishes. Yes, I would like unlimited wishes, please. That doesn't work. Uh, it's a genie. loophole. It's a loophole in, uh, the, in the genie thing. that It doesn't work. Okay, if you, yes. If you've ever a, seen Aladdin, a, yeah. It's a law passed by Elon Musk <laughs> yeah. that you can't uh, yeah. ask for multiple exactly. wishes. Okay, and, and, and one final one here with uh, Cam, Cam's Creepy Corner, uh, Creepy Corner Cam on Twitter. Um, and I will, it comes in, the headline's in the form of a question, and I will answer it, and then you tell me about it. Okay, Cam, headline is, are parallel universes real? And I say, yes. Well, now this is interesting because this is this is something that's really being hotly debated within these these sort of leading researchers. And in, in that article I posted on the Twitter, it, it kind of goes in through all of these things. Now, one of them says we have, there's no unambiguous physical evidence of parallel universes. There's no observation or experiment that requires parallel universes. Sorry to be a buzzkill. These are his words. So why are some scientists talking about parallel universes? Because they might exist. And we won't know what to look for if we don't explore the idea. And there's some interesting clues. If the multiverse exists, it might explain a giant puzzle. You know, their math these these multiverse these parallel universes, the multiverse theory, mathematically real, but so far right now conceptually not real. And the and this is what I found was the most interesting in this article. It said, for the for now, the question of the reality is purely academic. So, uh, but, but it's kind of a crazy theory. Like it's, it's, it's like there's, there's in infinite. And if you believe the world, uh, the universe is infinite, it's kind of like that. Um, it's kind of like that, that sort of like, if, if you put a monkey in front of a typewriter, eventually Shakespeare's going to come out, right? Uh, like, and there's, there's, you know, there's infinite universes. There's one where I'm holding a, I'm holding a pen right now. And there's another one I'm holding my phone in that exact parallel universes or infinite amounts of that. And I don't know. Like to me, that one's this one's hard to. I I don't believe in parallel universes. I think well, that it's I'll tell you interesting. What, there there are different theories about parallel universes. It's not just kind of one you know idea yeah. of it. But but I think parallel. Here's why. Uh, and I'm not saying it's the case. But do I think it's possible? Again, many times with me, it's about do you know am I, am I open to the idea? Yes, because I think parallel universes might explain a lot of things that we talk about here on Cam's Creepy Corner. Mm-hmm. Like for example, UFOs, yes. ghosts, right? A lot of things, a lot of weird things that seem unexplained could be explained by the idea that there are multiple uh, or parallel universes. Believe, Anyhow, final final 30 seconds. Yeah, I just I believe in in separate I believe in dimensions and and you know being able to pass up and yeah. down through those things. I guess you could also call that a, a parallel universe. Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. what I meant. Dimension yeah. universe. I think it's sort of the same thing or a lot of people think it is mm-hmm. the same thing, but yeah. Anyhow, uh Cam's Creepy Corner every Wednesday after the 2:30 news. Creepy Corner Cam on Twitter. The fate of the United States presidency hangs in the balance. As Democratic challenger Joe Biden picks up a big win in Wisconsin, they've given him Wisconsin now, and of course, Donald Trump continues to fight with Biden in battleground states. Neither candidate has cleared the 270 electoral college votes needed to win the White House. Margins are tight in several states. What is going to happen? Well, last night I went to bed about 10 o'clock. When I, I was watching the coverage and I realized this is not going to get settled anytime soon. It was just heading down a very similar path to 2016. So I decided to get a good night's sleep. I did wake up at about 2.30 in the morning. I had my earbud in. And I woke up at about 2.30 in the morning to hear the tail end of President Trump 
addressing supporters at the White House at about 2.30 in the morning. Here's a couple minutes of what he had to say, and then we'll talk about it. We have so many. We had such a big night. You just take a look at all of these states that we've won tonight, and then you take a look at the kind of margins that we've won them by. And, and all of a sudden, it's not like we're up 12 votes and we have 60% left. We won states, and all of a sudden, I said, what happened to the election? It's off. And we have all these announcers saying, what happened? And then they said, oh, because you know what happened? They knew they couldn't win. So they said, let's go to court. And did I predict this, Newt? Did I say this? I've been saying this from the day I heard they were going to send out tens of millions of ballots. I said exactly because either they were going to win or if they didn't win, they'll take us to court. So Florida was a tremendous victory, 377,000. Texas, as we said. Ohio, think of this. Ohio, a tremendous state, a big state. I love Ohio. We won by 8.1%, 461. Think of it. Almost 500,000 votes. North Carolina, big victory with North Carolina. And so we won there. We lead by 76,000 votes with almost nothing left. And all of a sudden, everything just stopped. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, okay? It's, it's a very sad, it's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. And we will win this. And we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. So I just want to thank you, and I want to thank all of our support. I want to thank all of the people that worked with us. Donald Trump, early, very early uh, this morning. And it's funny because in the clip there he said, you know, the Dems are going to sue. Well, now Donald Trump, the campaign, Trump campaign, uh, is suing temporarily, uh, suing to temporarily stop the vote count in Pennsylvania, claiming a lack of transparency but really i mean the the fact that this is going to end up with legal uh challenges it really shouldn't be surprising what kind of surprises me is that the pollsters most of them not all of them a couple got it right most of them got this wrong they were saying biden would win the popular vote and with the electoral college it gets complicated and difficult but the pollsters for the most part were saying biden's ahead by eight maybe even 10 points double digits why were the pollsters wrong again patrick basham was on with jeff courier earlier on today from the democracy institute here's what he said about that one is that most of the polling for most of the time was talking to people uh, who included those who were going to vote but also a lot of people who were unlikely to ever vote and that 
always is going to boost the Democratic side. Uh, plus, most of the polls, they assumed that the Democratic turnout would be much higher than it was likely and turned out to be. So that, of course, you know, it adds Democratic points. And something else um, is that probably the, one of the more important things is that most of the pollsters uh, didn't accept that there had been, quote unquote, shy Trump voters in 2016 and therefore didn't look for them this time. And uh, the two or three of us in the polling world who looked for shy Trump voters found them. And therefore, we concluded that the race was actually going to be quite competitive um, in, in most of the key places. I tell you, man, the pollsters, uh, again, not all of them, but many of them, most of them got a lot wrong again. And I don't have time for the clip, but Jeff also had on Dante Scala uh, from the University of New Hampshire on his show this morning. I talk a lot about the start, but I'll tell you, that Jeff Courier show, that's a good show, too. You should be listening to that show uh, as well. But anyhow, um, Scala said that that is the big thing that really surprised him the power that Trump has over his supporters, because you know what? Trump got him out. And now we could be days, weeks, maybe even more before this thing comes to a conclusion. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.